Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, and I have the amazing privilege to be here with Jennifer Ette. I'm just so excited to be with her. I've been talking with her for a little bit, talking about what we might talk about, and she showed a little bit of apprehension about, you know, maybe I'm not the right person to come on a podcast. And that's usually my favorite person to get on a podcast because I know there's many of you out there that might be a little bit apprehensive of what you might have to offer as a leader. And you're just the same as Jennifer, where you're amazing leaders. So as you listen to this bio, maybe think about ways that you're a leader just like her, because I know that she's an amazing leader. I've had great experiences with her. I've watched her over the years and since my first introduction to her. So I'm excited to amplify her voice today. And I hope that you connect with her and also realize that you might be just as much of a leader and an influence in other people's lives, just like her. Well, a little bit about Jennifer. She's an investment advisor And she's been in the financial services for 18 years and been in leadership roles in various ways for 40 years. Her family's from Louisiana, but she spent her teen and young adult years in Pennsylvania due to her dad's work. She served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ to Latter-day Saints in Tokyo, Japan, and is mother to four and the wife of Rock Ette. And Rock will be a future guest in a later date on this show. And I was talking to him last night about what we might talk about, and I'm really excited about his episode too. Just love Rock. Jen describes herself that she's always been different. As a teen, her classmates were focused on grades, sports, scholarships, and the next party. Her heart gravitated towards learning how to help people feel important. She's passionate about protecting those that don't know how to protect themselves. Yet, her parents were financially very well-to-do. And according to society, she should have sought out those in similar tax bracket and friends. But she preferred the company of kids who were humble and kind. Jen didn't find many of those types in the upper class circles that she ran in. So she spent time with who she described as the downtrodden, the ones that other people called the losers. She found them to be fascinating, loyal, and fun. As Jen got older, she thought very seriously about going into some kind of degree program for counseling, but she knew that she didn't have the long-term patience for it. Eventually, she decided that the best way she could help families stay together and be happy was to teach them how to be self-sufficient and take care of themselves. Jen learned that when people have money, their bills are being paid on time and there's extra in the budget. Then there's not too much to stress about in life. Not everyone is interested in getting themselves to that point, but many families are, and they are the favorite types of people for her to work with. She's also recognized at every company convention and asked to speak in training meetings because so often she's number one in multiple categories in multiple states. This doesn't happen because she's good. She's not. She's just very motivated on helping people. And she attributes this success to her dedication to serving the Lord and looking for the Lord's help in every single appointment and everything that she does. She figures that the Lord wants families to be self-sufficient and happy. And then he'll gladly guide her to know the best way to help each individual in a way that's best for them if she just simply looks for that help herself. Well, Jen, welcome today. I'm so excited to chat with you today about your way to help families lift themselves up and to find ways to be better and to get past that yet as you describe it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate the invitation. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, me too. Well, I first met you when you were serving in a volunteer role and you were helping with what was then kind of catching momentum in the United States. I think it was already getting momentum worldwide is what was called BYU Pathways or Brigham Young University Pathways. Now, can you tell the listeners a little bit about what Brigham Young Pathways is and then what your role was at the time? 
Yes, a Brigham Young University decided that they wanted education, quality, high, just a high, high quality education to be accessible to anybody in the world. And so what they did was instead of asking you know, people to come and move out to one of their campuses, what they decided to do was to go around the world and set up satellite campuses at their local church buildings. And so that way people could get the same kind of education, you know, by moving to Provo, Utah or to Rexburg, Idaho or, or any of where those campuses are, that they could do it. We've got campuses in Kenya. We've got campuses, you know, all over Africa, in Europe, in actually everywhere now that I'm thinking about it. (laughs) So yeah, it's everywhere. It doesn't matter where you live. And um, one interesting thing that I was always very proud of was that Brigham Young University has the same accreditation as Harvard and all of those other schools. And so you can get that level of education anywhere in the world. And I wanted that in Louisiana. And so that's why I got involved with that because it wasn't available here. And so uh, the people who do that. I worked with them and we were able to bring it to Louisiana several years ago. How did you bring it to Louisiana and how was it made more accessible? The Louisiana laws, uh, from what I understood, they didn't allow BYU to operate in Louisiana just under the current regulations. And so I went and I said to, you know, somebody who was a little bit higher, you know, clearance level than me. (laughs) And I just said, Hey, is there any way that we can find somebody who knows somebody because, I mean, you know, the South is the good old boys club. We got to know a good old boy somewhere. And so somebody can pull some strings. And sure enough, that happened. We worked on it for about 18 months and we were able to get it so that the state would allow BYU to operate here and not have it, you know, compete or anything like that with local schools. And so that's what we did. We applied and um, the leadership from Salt Lake City came down and we had a a big meeting and looked at how to set that up and we just got it done. Who was the the student base or the the customer base, if you will, for BYU Pathways? Oh, uh, you, know, you know, officially on paper, the customer base was ages 18 and up, and they would separate it into two, you know, 18 to 30s and then 31 plus. So because those are two different needs of the group. It was originally catered towards people who already had employment, but they were trying to either increase their level of employment, get a better job, be able to just take care, better care of their family. But my very favorite part of it was that people could have graduated either with a GED or been a high school dropout or whatever. And maybe now they're in their twenties or thirties realizing that maybe that wasn't the best idea at 16 and they want to do something about it. And you did not have to show any kind of ACT or SAT scores. You didn't have to show any kind of you know, graduation from high school, if you were in these, you know, higher age brackets, and, um, and they would take you and they would make sure that you're up to speed and you weren't getting lost. And so, you know, that kind of goes back to that's, that's just my weak spot. It's never too late. It's never too late that there really are people in the world who are willing to help, no matter where you are on the path. And so that's, that was my favorite part of that. Yeah. And it was like a, about a year long bridge program to get them ready for College, it was. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's shortened now to two uh, semesters. Two, two semesters. Two, yeah. Two semesters now. And um, everybody, uh, we had about, I think our first class, 20% of them did not have any kind of high school qualification. And they all ended up graduating with a 4.0 average. So I was, I was very, very happy about that. Yeah, very, very, a, very proud of them. They worked really hard. Yeah. That's just amazing. 
And then they could then be eligible to apply for BYU online after that. Or Actually, go to yes. Yes, yes, yes. If they, if they graduated with at least a B average of 3.0, then um, it was automatic. That was automatic acceptance and matriculation into um, their four-year degree programs online like, so they could stay online. Or move to campus if they chose to. Or, yeah, they could. They could move to campus. Most choose to just stay where they are, and that way they can still work and go to school and not have to uproot their family and go somewhere. Yeah, such a neat program, though. Such a neat avenue that I know was doing really well around the world, and so I was excited when it came to Louisiana. And that's when I first met you was when you were doing the outreach for it when it was coming here, and I just saw your excitement and Rock's excitement when you came together to talk about it. And you know, I've seen you since doing a lot of the same work in the financial realm. And I see this bridge between education and finance and really this work you do with this group of people that might not have a great building of resources available to them in their younger years or in in what we talk about a lot in multi-generational poverty or in a lot of lower income brackets. Mm -hmm. And so- you know, I love how you led into this with your, your introduction that you gave me about how the why you got to there. So how do you help people build the skills to transcend their current environment to get to a, a better future state? It's really a process. So like for instance, I have noticed. So if you ever drive around campus, LSU campus, there's the lakes and then they've got you know, those sidewalks and, and things and people are constantly, they're either running um, so, or jogging or walking or they're with the dog or whatever. And you've got all this. And I was driving through one day and I noticed this and I thought, wow, this is a lot like just things in life, you know, where we are on whatever it is we're trying to accomplish, whether it's a spiritual thing or temporal thing, a business thing, education, personal family. And so in this realm though, I've noticed that families are all, they all want to be happy Everybody wants to have enough money. Everybody wants to have, you know, just the things that they need. It would be nice to have a little extra. And that's not just America. That's everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're in the jungle and you trade in, you know, coconuts and rocks or whatever. You know, everybody has to have a form of currency everywhere. And so it's, this is not just something that's, you know, first world things. This is everywhere. So I'm driving through campus and I see these people I see a guy who's all sweaty with, you know, like 0.7 body fat. I mean, he's just like this perfect specimen huffing it down the road. And, um, and then I saw another lady who was a little bit overweight, but she was jogging. You could tell she was struggling, but she was doing it. And then I saw a lady who was really, really overweight and she was walking, but to her, I could tell that to her, that was really her best. I mean, I just saw, I just saw these three just back to back people that were doing their best. And so from the outside, sometimes I think that we look at this and go, oh, because I'm not the guy who's tan and, you know, no body fat and just can cruise through without even getting into a heavy sweat or <laughs> whatever, you know, that, that some, I'm some kind of failure in life. And that's just not true. I think it's important to allow people and allow ourselves to just be where we are instead of constantly looking outside of ourselves and go, oh, I'm not that or I'm not that. And so that's kind of the, that's the foundation we start at. Okay, just where are you? And sometimes I get people and they're just like, here, here's all my information. And then some people are like, oh, I'm so embarrassed because I've got this or I got that. I didn't want to meet with you because I didn't didn't know what you'd think of our situation. I'm like, no, you don't understand. 
I don't care. I actually don't care where you are because I see it as this path. Because I'm like, it doesn't matter where we are. Just tell me where we are so we know what we got to do to progress. It doesn't, you know, it, does, it just doesn't matter where the starting point is. You are where you are. And that, you know, actually I learned that from my mom. And my mom always says, you know, um, you have to accept people where they are, not where you wish they were. And so I've taken that and I take that into every appointment. And so I just go, ah, it doesn't matter where this family is. So let's just make sure that they can accept themselves for where they are so that now we can get going on where they want to go. And so first we establish that zero need to be embarrassed by anything, either to yourself or because of me sitting there, it doesn't matter. And because I'm not, I'm not concerned. And then um, we talk about things being like a GPS because I think a lot of people, if you ask them what they want, well, I, w- I want more money. Okay, but for what? <laughs> like, like we, we only want money so we can buy stuff. That's it. And so we can buy a house, so we can buy some gas, so we can buy some food. We only want money to buy stuff. So it's not really that we want more money. Nobody actually wants more money. You want whatever you can buy with it. So then we kind of go, so I just go, so I mean, where are we going? And people are like, well, I, I don't know. And and to me, that's like, I tell them, look, that's like having a GPS and a car, but no address. So you're just like driving around, wandering around in the broccoli. I don't know <laughs> what you're doing, you know? And so what we do is we kind of whittle down, okay, where are we headed? And I'll say to that to people like, okay, so where are we going? Where, where would you like to go? You know, they're like, oh, I'm, you know, I don't make enough money. I, I, you know, this bill is, I'm barely making, okay, that's nice. But, but that we're not worried about that. Where do you want to go? And then we make a very detailed plan that is specific for that family. I do not believe in cookie cutter plans because we, everybody is so different in every family. There is no such thing. I have never found a family that is exactly the same as another family. There's components that are similar, but no family is exactly the same. And so it's very important to me that it is specifically tailored to that family. So I think so that's that's the starting point. And then I just educate because they I don't want them to have to call me forever because I mean one day I'm gonna die. I'm not gonna be here. I want families to be able to then turn around and teach that to their kids or have their kids sit in and I'll teach it to them so that now the whole family's working together. So that's uh that's my approach, at least for the first part. So that's the generic because I, I can't give you a specific answer because it's different. It's different for every family, but that's that's the mindset that I go into it with. Yeah, there's so many things that you said there that I just really loved. And you reminded me of a story when I was a teenager skateboarding around and I had this random occurrence where this businessman was talking on a phone and he just stopped me. And I'm probably like 16 or 17 at the time. And he just kind of stops me and he says something random like, you know, answer a question for me to help solve a debate. You can't learn a new trick without falling, can you? And I'm all, absolutely not. I have to fall a bunch of times to learn a new trick on this thing. You know, probably way more than I like, you know, bust the blood vessels on my palms, you know, they get all swollen, you know, lots of falling to learn a new trick. And I hadn't ever thought about that in terms of, you know, the way we fail in in different things in life. But I've thought about that story so many times and I'm like, always wonder like, why did he stop me? Like, why do you ask that random question? And it wasn't until you were talking that I'm like, I finally make the connection about, you know, we have to share our failures so that we can learn from them because the failures really teach us so much in life, but we're so afraid that we're going to be judged. 
And especially in this hyper social media world that we live in, and we're trying to put our best foot forward all the time. And we're so hesitant to have any form of embarrassment whatsoever. You know, we don't share any of these things that could be slighted or laughed at in any way. And because of that, it makes it even harder to learn from those failures. And so, you know, how do we help ourselves move forward to build an environment where we have more psychological safety, where we can really explore with curiosity what we're not good at, what we need to get better at? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I used to feel that way. I I did. I I struggled with that for a really long time. And and so I asked myself the same question, like, how... How do I get more confidence so that things, because I hear people and they would say, oh, I don't care what people think about me. And I think, well, you're not telling the truth, but okay. <laughs> like, how is that even possible? <laughs> and, um, you know, and then I realized, you know, after I studied it for a little bit and I realized I wrote down the things that I didn't care for or maybe things about myself that I was embarrassed about. Whether anybody else knew about it, noticed it, whatever, because some some things, they're just inside of you and you're the only one who knows them. And so then that does create, I find anyway, that that creates sense of apprehension because you don't want the rest of the world to find out that maybe you're not as cool as they think that you are. And so I thought, hmm, I need to work on some of those things. Like, for instance, I was always one of those uh, people who was very... I'm very, very observant. I'm, I'm really very interested in just quietly watching the world and thinking through it and, and um, creating strategies. And that that's not like something, that's not the kind of person you're like, hey, let's invite them to the party. That sounds like tons of fun because <laughs> I'm, like, like I'm not, like I have a lot of a really good outlook on life. I'm just, I'm very, very blessed to be gifted with optimism. It, it, it is, it comes very, very naturally to me being optimistic. I'm like, well, we can do that no matter what it is. And, uh, and people are like, how are we going to get there? I don't know, <laughs> but we're gonna. And so, and, and things do tend to work out for me that way. However, I was not strong in public speaking or just even social skills. And so I had to work very hard on those things. And I still, every single day, I study something because I have a requirement for myself. I have to know more about whatever it is I'm working on when I go to bed at night than I did when I woke up in the morning. And if I don't know more than I did, then it was not a successful day. And it doesn't even matter what happened in the whole day. I could have made $8,000 that day, you know, from some trade or whatever, you know, in two hours, but it's not a successful day if I don't know more when I go to bed at night on the thing that I'm working on. And so when I realized that I can just work on it a little bit every day. And then eventually I kind of look back and I go, oh, wow, look how far I've come. Now, nobody else knows I came that far, but I do. And so I, I figured out that I, I don't really care what other people think. I care what I think about me. And as soon as people like themselves, it's pretty hard to get under that person's skin. And so I, I've been able to whittle it down. I care what I think about myself. I care what the Lord thinks about me. I care what um, the people who live in my house. I care what my husband and my uh, and my kids. I care to an extent what my parents think about me. But um, but you know, at some point, you really do have to kind of stand on your own for that. And so I've had to really force myself to um, bring that down to just that core group. 
And some days it doesn't work. And some days, you know, most days it does now, because now it's a habit. And, and if I do something that's kind of silly or I'm like, oh, what was I thinking? Then I go, hey, you know what? Okay, it happened. So what? So take your five minutes to whine and cry about it and then get up. Now let's go fix it. So I do give myself time, but really you got about five minutes to be a pansy and fall apart. And then after that, nope, time to go. Let's let's go do something different. And then I just uh, keep keep trucking. So that that has worked for me. That might not work for everybody, but I find that a lot of the leaders that I hang around, that's what they do. And when I figured that out, I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a try. Because um, if I don't do something different, I'm just going to keep getting the same results. And that just sounds like a waste of time to me because I didn't like those results. But now I get the kind of results that they get. So I think that's a good place to start. And start uh, working on the things that uh, that we don't care for about ourselves so that we do like. We get rid of those or at least temper them, get them under control. Yeah, I like that a lot. And it's okay to realize that there's things that you don't like about yourself. Yeah. It's okay. It doesn't mean that you know, you're a bad person or that you're even a depressed person. Maybe you are, but it, that's, it's good to notice those things so that you can start to build a plan to address those things that, yeah. you, can't help that you need. So, yeah. And I, you know, and sometimes I have to remind myself, I was thinking about this one time, you know, sometimes we um, think, oh man, I'm, I'm such and such an age. I should have been able to overcome this by now or whatever, or I'm a lost cause. And so I don't know people, I think a lot of people play sports. I played basketball in high school. And so I just naturally, my brain went to basketball on this one, but in basketball, there's four quarters. And so I, I put it kind of like in life. So about ages one, you know, zero to 20, is the first quarter, 20 to 40, second quarter, you know, 40 to 60, third, and then 60 to 80 is the fourth quarter. And so I think to myself, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in whatever, whatever the thing was that I did that happened or that I did that I didn't like, I think, okay, what quarter of the game was that? <laughs> so like, okay, that was the first quarter of the game. What in the world am I stressing about that about? I'm, you know, I, I'm, we're past halftime by now. And so, you know, the coach doesn't come in and go, oh my gosh, you know, even in the fourth quarter, a good coach is not going to come in and be like, oh, look what you did. Look what you did in the second quarter. We're in the fourth quarter. You know what? You're hopeless. Go sit on the bench. If you're their star player, no, he's going to say, look, you can do this. we got to play last down to the last second because the truth of the game's not over till it's over. And so, okay, so you had a foul. Big deal. <laughs> you think, you know, Michael Jordan fell on the floor and put his head under a towel and all that stuff just because he did, you know, something, missed a shot. No, not him. He got up and kept going. Kobe Bryant, same thing. So... I think, uh, I think we need to remember that. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. just not, you know, there's a reason that the saying is it ain't over till the fat lady sings. And so it's the same thing. It's just, it's not over till the buzzer rings at the end of the game. So just keep going. Yeah, totally agree. I was thinking too, you know, I, for the longest time, I didn't realize that I wasn't a great reader. I just didn't realize it. I, because I'm pretty smart at comprehension and reading. And I didn't realize that I struggled to stay focused while I read. And it was interesting. I'd built this ability to memorize things really well throughout my entire life. And it wasn't until I started to have some issues with my memory that I realized, why don't I read very well anymore? And I actually realized it wasn't my reading had changed. It was my memory wasn't as good as it wasn't as crisp as it used to be. Mm -hmm. And so I had to address it because when I give 
talks or public speaking, I used to be so good at memorizing everything that I was going to say that I didn't have to read it. And so Mm -hmm. I'm not a quick reader, even though my comprehension is really good, but I can't read from paper because I can't stay focused on the words. And it was interesting for me. And I'd never really explored that weakness because I never wanted to ask for help because I was always ashamed of that weakness. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've gone all these years of my life just finding ways to compensate and not actually getting true help. And how many people do that same thing? They just accept something as, oh, this is the way it's always going to be and just accept it. And we don't have to do that. You know, I didn't have to do that. I could have asked for help and it doesn't make me weaker. In fact, not asking for help made me much weaker. It made my memory probably stronger, but that fades away as it has done. And now I'm left with the same problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I find that a lot too. I do. I find that often, but you know, I think, um, I mean, I do the same thing on something. I think everybody does that, but uh, I mean, it really kind of whittles down to what you're talking about. It's just kind of, I think our own pride gets in the way and it's, and it's sad. It's sad when we get in our own way and we can't figure out how to get out of our own way. (laughs) So, which is kind of cliche, but the fact is it's true. As you're talking about LSU Lakes, so I'm very familiar with LSU Lakes. The listeners might not be, but if you're not, you know, I'll offer you an invite because everybody deserves a good chance to come to the true college football shrine <laughs> that is Death Valley and watch a real get football some, game. Get some hate mail. You're going to get some hate mail. <laughs> you got the Alabama fans, you know, someone's going to show up in the mail. I can take it. I can take it. So, and I'll drive you by LSU Lake so you can visualize everything that Jen's saying here. But it's interesting to me, and this is like many, you know, running paths that people do around campuses or wherever you go. But the distance is the same. Everybody runs the same distance is what I was thinking about as you were kind of talking about these different runners. They just get to their destination at different times, but they're all running the same distance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and oftentimes we're running that same distance over and over again. We look like we're making progression, but a lot of times, you know, we might run that path faster one day and run it slower a different day. And that person who was really, really fit might have a really bad day and have to walk at a different day. Yep. And, the, and the, the person that isn't very fit is going to progress and progress at a different path. And I think what I loved about how you talked about your plan for financial is that individual focus that you take. And I wonder in our workplaces, when we talk about development and leadership development and career development, how often do we make it individualized? I think too mm-hmm. often we try to make it so general that we don't look at the needs of the individual and we don't actually serve the individual too much. We were talking in the Coast Guard recently about the plan the Coast Guard has for every officer. They want every officer to become a Coast Guard captain. And we were kind of laughing like, well, what about what I want as an officer? When you said that, I thought, well, they don't want to be a captain. (laughs) Exactly. So we're you know, somebody's, somebody's got to be something else. So you got to have somebody following otherwise. Exactly. (laughs) And so it was interesting to me, you know, we talked about it, you know, we all have these different paths and, and I get the Coast Guard has to have a plan, but when we talk about different assignments, it, we, we joke about it because whenever you go to that assignment officer, they always have that mindset. You have to be this. And you're like, I don't want to be that, but they don't listen to you. 
And so how do we take this approach to be more individualized? I think the listeners might benefit if you explore that a little deeper about how you take such an individualized approach. You can clarify in what way? What way? Yeah, I just think like, what is it that drives you to focus on the individual and then does it come easy for you? Do you have to work at it? You know, what type of questions do you ask them to get, you know, their needs out of them? You know, sometimes people don't want to give information about themselves. So it can be hard to get Mm -hmm. get hard to get their individualized approach. Like some of us, like you and I, we're free to give, we give our information away. You know how we feel about different things, but some people, they won't ever say a word about how they feel. And it can be hard to find out what they want in their career path. I remember sitting down for a a mentoring session with one of the people that worked for me. And I was like, hey, I want to help you grow as much in the Coast Guard as you want to grow. Just help me understand what path you want to take. And it was like pulling teeth to find out what their true Mm -hmm. desires were. Because they were just so afraid to do anything that was bucking the trends. And I was like, no, I'm serious. This is what the Coast Guard wants for you. That's fine if you want to do those things, but I'm here to, if you want to do anything else, I'll help you get those things while we're doing those other things the Coast Guard wants for you as well. And it took a good eight to nine months before they really trusted me to actually open up and say, yeah, I want to do something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things going on there uh, because I have similar experiences with that, uh, you know, especially just in this line of work because. People, at least in this country, people are not taught to just be really forthright with how much you make and what's going on with your money. And that's so private and, and those sorts of things. And so, yeah, I do. I run into that a lot. And um, so far, not that this is always the case, I guess, but so far it's been 100%. The people that do that, or at least do that when I'm there, is going to be usually the men. And, and I think it's for a couple of reasons. Number one. I think that uh, people have learned to stop dreaming. By the time you get about mid-20s to late 30s, society just knocks it out of you. I don't know that our society is set up to encourage dreaming. And, you know, because people think that kids with their dreams, oh, that's so cute. And then you get into your 20s, you're going to go conquer the world. And then when it doesn't happen right away, we're told, Look, why don't you just give that up? Go get a good job. You got to be able to, you know, take care of a family. It's time to grow up. Well, time to grow up means put dreams away and just go to work and be, in my opinion, just be a zombie and go do what society expects. And that's what we're taught. And I think that is just one of the saddest things in the world. You wouldn't believe the dreams that I find, especially in people who are older and they think it's too late. Um, like for instance, I just sat with client, a new client a couple of weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, and they're in their 60s. They don't have any money. And I, I actually, when I walked in, I thought, wow, I honestly don't know how I'm going to make it so that they can retire ever. <laughs> like that's how, that's how not okay the situation was. But they, they were not in that situation because they'd done anything bad. They just hadn't been taught what to do, but your parents can't teach you what to do if they don't know what to do. And that is to me, that is a major ep- epidemic right now in the U S because, you know, if, if you're in my age group, I am 50, I turned 50 this year 
And if you're my age group, your parents are in their 70s, 60s, 70s, maybe 80s. And that is the generation that was raised by the generation that went through the depression. And so that, you know, what was taught was you have to go to school, go to work, get a good stable job, and, and, and that way you'll be safe. But that we are in a very different society than it was 70 years ago. That's just the way it is. And so, I mean, countries do change over almost a century. And so, but, but now uh, people are still being taught that, or, you know, this younger generation is going, Hey, there are no pensions at my job and my job isn't necessarily safe. And I don't know that I want to go do fill in the blank. And so dreaming is beginning to come back a little bit. I think with the invention of the internet and, and that, you know, quick, quick, quick uh, spreading of ideas. I think dreaming's making a comeback, but that those two generations, you know, the baby boomers and their children, that's um, that's a generation that was taught to stop. I mean, my, you know, I, I heard that, you know, that was a really common phrase. It's just, you know, hey, you need to just settle down, grow up, and go be responsible, and that means put away your dreams. And so, my job is to to help people realize you can be responsible and still be a dreamer. And then get the dreams. They don't. They don't have to be something that you just stuck in the drawer that you know getting dusty in your closet because you're busy being responsible. That's just. It's not true. And so my job is to find out. So what is it that you want? And I find that people either they honestly don't know what they want, which is why they can't answer because they have not allowed themselves to think about that for so long because the disappointment to then not get it, the price is too heavy. And so they would rather just not think about it than have to be disappointed again that it didn't happen. And then number two, especially with men, my dad is so smart. You know, I was I was fussing around about, I don't know, 20 years ago or something. I was fussing about rock to my dad. And I was like, and he blah, blah, blah. I mean, I was, you know, young wife and I thought I knew everything. I don't know anything. And so, and my dad said, you know what? You need to time out and calm down for a second. I thought, you are taking his side over me. <laughs> and so, and he's like, no, like if you could just stop talking for like two seconds, that let me explain something to you. He said, here's the deal. A man's self-worth is directly tied to his ability to earn an income and take care of his family. So if he knows that he can earn a, a good income and be able to take care of his family and they are fine, He's got a good sense of self-worth and people who struggle to maintain whatever it is that they're trying to maintain, that's going to take a direct hit on his self-worth. And then they start, you know, being angry or sullen or whatever, you know, all of, you know, it comes out in different ways. And so if I go in and I'm realizing, oh, I've got one and he's, you know, refusing to get on camera, he's not talking, he's whatever, he's sitting off to the side and, and, um, and I'm just talking to her and she'd be like, oh, he's here. He's just over there. I think, okay, immediately I know, okay, we've got something he's not proud of, but I need to help him understand it ain't over till it's over. I certainly don't judge him. I honestly, I don't care. Not that I don't care about people. I do care about people. What I'm saying is that does not affect me. Whatever he, I don't live in that house. That's not my paycheck. It, that's like the doctor. That's like going, I'm not going to go to the doctor because I have a cough. And I don't want him to make fun of me because I have a cough. That's silly. None of us would sit home because 
we don't want the doctor to know we're sick. That's crazy. And that's the exact same thing. My job is to come in, diagnose and go, okay, look, we can do this. We can fix this. And that's why I think one of the reasons that I've been very successful at what I do is because I do see a way out of everything. I I have not yet come across an opportunity, I mean, a a situation where I don't see a way out. It doesn't mean it's an easy out. And sometimes people are not willing to do what they need to do to get out of it. They would rather the pain of sitting in whatever they've created rather than the pain of getting out of it, which, you know, that's their choice. And so I just let people be who they want to be, you know, because um, it's, it's just not my job to tell them what to do. I don't, I don't tell anybody what to do. My job is to find it out. I just ask questions. I also have zero reaction. I make sure that my face has no reaction because they need to know I'm really not judging them. And as soon as they figure out, oh, she's not judging them and oh, wow. And I can tell that the door is starting to open just a little and that light is starting to crack through. Then all of a sudden in the camera, I see like a single eyeball (laughs) and there he is, you know? And then eventually every single time by the end, he's full blown in the camera telling me everything I want to know. And here's, you know, an hour ago, she was apologizing, you know, he's going to come in, but just FYI, he's not going to say anything. I'm like, Oh, okay. And by, by the end we're pals. He wants to you know, tell me everything in the world and we just go get it done. You know, I, maybe I've come across two that just were like, no, I'm good. Okay, great. Uh, there's a hundred more people waiting that would like to do something different. So you can, just keep doing you. That's fine. Doesn't affect me. I'm good. I would just like to help you be better if that's what you want, but it's not what you want. Okay. Okay. We're all free to do exactly as we please in this country. Thank goodness we live in America and we can do that. So I, I think that's it. And people realize I'm really sincere about that. It, it actually becomes very easy. That's just such a beautiful observation that it's sad, but beautiful. I think when we get to that root of the problem that you know, people have stopped dreaming, you know, we can really mm-hmm. really help people. You know, I want to take a pause and leave the challenge with the listeners for that too, is to take a moment this week and to really think about what your dream is, what one of your dreams is, and to sit down and visualize it and to write it down, whether you have to draw it, you know, map it out, do whatever your creative process is, or just write it down, you know, put a dream on paper down somewhere or on the computer, just make sure that it's down on a tangible surface where you can look at it and remind yourself about it because that's going to be powerful. And then if you're in a leadership role, think about how you learn the dreams of those around you. And if you're not, well, now you have something to do and, and to get to know those the skills and resources of those around you. So just a wonderful thought. Uh, I just really love it. You know, we we talk a lot about in leadership and and serving people about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, and I just love the things that Jen's talked about because if we don't help people, you know, build up the resources they have to take care of themselves first, they're never, ever going to be able to take care of, of others. And we talk a lot about servant leadership and really we have to serve people and to be a servant leader. But if we can't have that foundation of taking care of ourselves. we can never ever adequately serve others. And so just a wonderful way to be a servant leader, to help people build that foundation in a more profound way and to realize that they can dream bigger 
as they do so, so that they can actually have opportunities that transcend their current environment. Yeah. I, you know, one of the, as you were talking, it reminded me, one of my mentors, he always says, think in ink, because when you put it down, it, it really does. It makes it much easier for to become real. And so um, I guess I'm a big proponent of thinking in ink because he's, he's, it's true. And then also I was, I was thinking as well, when I, I think when we shift our focus away from ourselves and we stop chasing things that aren't, I call them things that aren't real. Like to me, it, which sounds kind of funny, actually coming from a, an investment advisor to me, money and status, it's not real stuff. It's just stuff. And when I die, it's all going to stay here. So I actually don't, I, I don't really focus on those things because I find that in the very beginning of my career, you know, I, I chased money because I needed money. <laughs> I was broke, you know, at the beginning. And I, and, and then that didn't last long because I realized the harder you chase money, the quicker it runs away from you. And so I thought, okay, I need to switch. And so people in this field, they have the potential to make an incredible amount of money. And I've been, I mean, I've been offered jobs and, you know, at other firms. And, and so I think that when we shift our focus, I think um, the how becomes a little more clear because I've like for rock and I, so like my husband and I rock, he is the dreamer all day long. He is the dreamer. I am the strategist. And we know this, we tell people this, we talk about the fact that he's like, okay, I want this. And this would be so awesome. I have no clue how to get that thing. And I go, Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. We could do this and this and this. And it just lays out naturally in my mind, how we're going to get there. Even though I had never even thought of that in the first place. And so we work well together in that, in that way. And so I think that, especially if you've got listeners who are like that, and they're like, look, I've got these huge dreams, There's no clue how to get there. So that means I'm obviously never going to get it. That's just not true. You need to find yourself a strategist. And so, because that's what my husband did. He found himself a strategist. And so, that, yeah. And so I, it, the answer is never, it's never no. No is never the answer. The, it, no just means not right now. It, it, you can have it, you know, you can have it. It just might not be right this second. We may have to put a couple of things in place first. So keep that in mind. I love that thought. And, you know, you'll hear me say it over and over again. Diversity is a gift if you embrace it in the right ways. And it's the same thing when you find people who think differently than you. If you surround yourself with them and you especially harness their strengths for your weaknesses, as yes. Jen just taught us. So, yes, echo just, chambers do not serve you at all. <laughs> they don't serve not, any of us. I always all. look for people that, that think different than me and whatever, because to me, that makes an entire whole. I don't think anybody was put on this planet to be an island. Nobody, nobody was put on the planet to be alone. Our, our, we all have different strengths and weaknesses because we have to work together as a whole to be able to be as successful as we can. I mean, we can be a little bit successful by ourselves, but it is nothing like working together with somebody else that compliments. Totally agree. Well, it's been a wonderful conversation and we're about out of time. Any final thoughts to wrap us up today, Jen? No, I think I've said it all. Well, I appreciate it. And remember, Think in Ink, there's been some great thoughts. So go back and listen and Think in Ink. That's a good one with many others. So thanks all of you for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. 
And please like, share, and subscribe to the podcast and send it to others so that they might be edified and then they can lift themselves up and they can find ways to lift others and have a wonderful day. 